Okay, we're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 from verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In their midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but to also have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus has not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. We are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them since last year you and Acacia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians 
come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly and whoever sows generous, uh, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers, and in their prayers for you, you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his incre- indescribable gift. Thanks, uh, Lindsay. And um, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Jack. Uh, and this morning, uh, we are talking about money uh, for the next 25 minutes or so. Uh, money, 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 as the Abba song goes, that um, Wayne and I often listen to as I drop him home uh, on occasion. Uh, but uh, it's a great thing uh, to talk about money, because money plays a huge role in our lives. Uh, and yet it's one of those funny things that you're not supposed to talk about. Uh, money in our world is a sensitive issue. Probably because we put so much weight and so much security on it. Uh, To allow people access to your financial situation is to reveal, in a sense, your soft underbelly, your weakness. Uh, And so we've trained ourselves to protect that. Added on top of this, we live in a capitalist world where security really does come from your ability to create and maintain wealth. That's why at every election, it's the economy that matters. And this is the culture that we swim in, and so it impacts us in ways that we often don't realize. And so talking about finances, talking about money is a big issue. But it is a great one to talk about because, as Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. And if that is true, and I think that it is, then it is important that as followers of Jesus, that we allow the gospel to impact the way that we think about money. 
And so as we do this this morning, we're going to explore uh, this unique idea of gospel generosity. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see that we should have an attitude of cheerful generosity, that our motivation is the grace of God that has given us everything, and that the result of this is praise, thanks, and worship of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Attitude, motivation, and the result. Uh, If you've got Bibles, keep them open. I'm going to be tracking through that pretty closely, so keep an eye on them. Uh, And I'm going to pray for us uh, as we jump into it. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We pray now that you would sanctify us through this word, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and in our minds. Father, where we need to be confronted, confront us. Where we need to be comforted, comfort us. And in all of us, in all of this, be pointing us back to your son Jesus, to be reminding us, be giving us the perspective of who we are in him, of all that he has given us, so that all our lives might be one of thanks and praise and worship to you. And we pray this, Father, in your son's name. Amen. Well, it's quite a long passage, but we're going to be tracking through it. Uh, And the structure, really, for these two chapters is pretty simple. Chapter 8, the first one, is quite practical. Paul is telling the Corinthians uh, how to act in a specific situation. Uh, Chapter 8, in a sense, then gives us the context of what is happening. So we'll have a look at that first. And then chapter 9 then gives us the principles that the Corinthians need to be acting out of. And so, the first thing we need to look at is this context to figure out what on earth is going on, because it's one of those passages where you read it and you realise pretty quickly that there's a fair amount of background here. What is the backstory? And so, let's jump in at chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Have a read with me there. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So we begin here with this picture of a different church, the Macedonian church. And this Macedonian church has given some sort of financial gift. It's a particularly generous gift because, as we find out, the Macedonian church is not a rich church. This is a poor church. This is a church that is uh, in the midst, it says, of a severe trial. We're not sure what that is. But even amidst that, they have given towards this appeal. How does the Corinthian church fit in? Well, verse 6, Paul says, And so we urge Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. So what's going on here? It would appear that the Corinthian church has pledged as an amount of money towards this same cause. Uh, We find out in chapter 9, verse 2, that it was actually this pledge that prompted the Macedonian church to give their gift in the first place. That is, Paul goes to Corinth first, 
has the appeal, the Corinthian church pledges an amount of money, then Paul goes north to Macedonia, tells the Macedonian church of this pledge, and the Macedonian church go, wow, we want to be a part of that as well. And so they give too. And now Paul is coming back to Corinth to make good on that pledge, to collect the money. And he is sending Titus before him to come and collect the gift. Presumably they needed time in order to be able to collect it. Uh, And so what is the gift for? Well, we actually find this out in the previous book, 1 Corinthians uh, in 16.1-3. I'll read it out for us. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So what's happening? Well, most likely the Jerusalem church uh, is under some sort of persecution. There was a famine at that time as well, so it might be that there's a famine in that region as well. And so Paul is basically passing around the hat so that the church in Jerusalem can be supported by the other churches in the region. In a sense, what we have here is a beautiful picture of the fledgling church living out Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. There is a need in another part of the church, and so the surrounding churches are digging deep in order to supply them in their time of need. I think maybe Paul is fleshing out Acts, fleshing out Acts 2.44 when he writes uh, in verse 13, chapter 8, verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. It's a beautiful picture of the church. But if you know anything about Paul and the Corinthians, you know that actually there is significant tension between Paul and certain people in leadership in the Corinthian church. And if you felt any tension in the letter as it was read out earlier, then I think you're right. Paul, it would seem, is not sure what the Corinthians are going, are not sure that the Corinthians are going to follow through with their pledge. He wants them to, but he knows that there's conflict. And if you want to know anything more about this conflict, go back and start reading 1 Corinthians. But he's conscious of the embarrassment and shame on so many fronts if they do not follow through. And so while the tone, I think, is a little bit strained, any time you think that Paul is about to employ shame or guilt or manipulation or coercion, he doesn't. He pulls back. In fact, Paul goes to great lengths to make sure that he doesn't. But more than that, he goes to great lengths to outline the principles around giving. He outlines what we are going to call gospel generosity. And it's this gospel generosity, I think, that is a uniquely Christian attitude towards material wealth. And so have we look at these, as we have a look at these principles, uh, while the details of the Corinthian position are different from ours, 
I think the principles flow pretty easily across to us in the here and now. So let's have a look now at how Paul argues for gospel generosity. And so we've got three principles, our attitude, our motivation, and the result. And so principle number one is our attitude, cheerful generosity, uh, verses 1 to 7. Uh, and principle number one is about our attitude, our attitude here of ge- cheerful generosity. And this is really why Paul, in a sense, is writing this bit of the letter. If you look at chapter 9, verse 5, we read this. I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. There is, Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You see, God here cares about the attitude of your giving. In fact, in 2 Corinthians as a whole, Paul is arguing against a view that said that your outward religious signs of devotion were important. Paul is treading a fine line. He wants them to follow through with their pledge, but he doesn't want them to do it for the wrong reasons. He doesn't want them to do it out of obligation or out of a desire to appear spiritual or superior. He wants it to be a generous gift from the heart. It's the attitude of your heart that matters. And we see this so clearly in verse 7. Each of you, Paul writes, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, giving for the Christian should be a great joy. It's one of the ways that we can be distinct from the world that we live in. Our world is driven by money. And you don't have to look far to find people in our society for whom money is everything. The purpose of their lives is producing material wealth. The security that they have in their lives comes from their bank account, their share portfolios, their property. And the thing that they worry about the most, the thing that keeps them up at night, is that bottom line. And when that is the case, then giving becomes hard. Because giving is going against the purpose of why you exist. Giving is about giving up the security that you have built your whole life around. And giving forces you to think less about your bottom line and more about the bottom lines of others. But it's not just out there, is it? We all swim in this culture. We are a part of this culture. And it creeps into our thinking as well. It is so easy for us to worry about money. And when we worry about money, in doing that, to cease being generous. Or forgiving to be a rod on our back. Just another thing that I have to do. Another rule. Another thing that I have to give up while my friends out there get to enjoy their lives. There's an old saying that the last thing to be converted is your back pocket. That is your wallet. But I think that that little saying doesn't quite capture it. I think the thing that needs most of all to continue being converted is our wallet. In the world that we live in, the thing that needs the gospel preached to most is often our back pocket. 
So how do we do it? It's all very well to say, okay, be cheerful. But you need something more than that, don't you? If we are going to reject placing our security in financial wealth, what are we going to place our security in? The attitude of cheerfulness needs to be underpinned by a motivation that is stronger than what the world is offering us. And so we get to principle number two, our motivation. We give because in God's grace we have already everything. We give because in God's grace we have already everything. Here is, in a sense, the uniquely Christian part of this equation. A cheerful attitude is good, but most worldviews would advocate for a positive attitude toward money. What is unique in this cycle of giving and being given to is what lies beneath it. I think we see it firstly in verses 8 to 9. 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Do you see how that works? Jesus has given up his riches and become poor, so that we in our poverty might become rich. There's blessing here, isn't there? We don't need to fear material poverty, because in the gospel God has promised us material wealth. 9 verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need. You see, we give a small amount and God will reward us with an even greater material wealth. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your material wealth. You will be enriched materially in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in you living out the Australian dream. Now, which point did you start red flagging me there? Right, because everything I've said in about the past minute has been wrong, right? But only just wrong. But actually only just wrong can be devastatingly wrong. It is so easy to read these words, in a sense, with our capitalist glasses on, that somehow this is talking about material prosperity. And there have been plenty of people who have twisted these verses. Because often when we read these verses, our eyes kind of glaze over the tricky foreign religious words and subconsciously read them out. Or we take particular words and read meanings into them that aren't actually there. So let's back up a little bit and go back through those verses again. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that in you through his poverty you might become rich. That word rich, with our capitalist glasses on, we instinctively read as material riches. And yet to read it like that is to massively reduce the magnitude of what is going on. Paul is not talking about something as trifling as material wealth. Paul at this point is talking about our union with Christ. He's talking about the fact that Jesus gave up 
everything. He gave up his place in heaven. He took on our human flesh and he died on the cross. That's Jesus' poverty. And in Jesus' poverty, we are redeemed, we are raised, and we are adopted as heirs of the King and Lord of both heaven and earth. They are the riches that are on view here. This is not about a trivial bump in the bank account. Chapter 9, verse 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, that's not the end of this sentence, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. In Christ, we have all things so that we can abound in every good work. We are heirs with Christ, and as heirs of the Lord of heaven and earth, whose heart is one of love and comfort, whose concern is for the poor and the helpless, the vulnerable and the downtrodden, how much more so should we take joy in using what limited things we have in order to bless others? It costs us nothing. Our future is assured. Our inheritance is locked in. Our eternity is assured. We have everything in Jesus. And so that must radically transform the way that we think about money. Verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your, again, righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is, God will not give us the wealth to give He will give us the grace that comes from Jesus in order that we might be generous with whatever God has given us with. Whether we are rich or poor, God's promise in these passages is that he will give us the motivation to be generous with what he has given you. He gives the motivation. And that motivation is this perspective of our identity as heirs of the king of the universe, the sons and daughters of a God who is love, whose mercy and compassion and justice sustain and redeem this world. And so our attitude is that of cheerful giving. The motivation is this grace that God has given us, that we have everything in him. And what then is the result? Well, principle number three, the result is thanks and praise amongst God's people. The result is thanks and praise amongst God's people. And three points on the third principle. Number one, our giving is praise and thanks to God. Uh, Look at verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing many expressions of thanks to God. Or to put it another way, our giving is part of our worship of God. Worship is not just getting together and singing songs to God. Thanks and praise is not just walking in nature thinking positive thoughts about the world. 
Our worship is a devotion to God in all parts of our lives. Our worship is a reflection of the grace and generosity that God has given us, and we reflect that grace and generosity to those around us. And specifically, in every act of sacrificial giving that we do. Every time that you give, it is an act of worship. It's not an obligation. It is a joy and shout of praise to the God who has given us everything in Christ Jesus. But it goes beyond this as well. Our giving prompts the praise of others as they see the gospel at work. Our giving prompts the praise of others as they see the gospel at work. Verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Gospel generosity is not just between you and God. It spreads out to the rest of the community of believers and not just to those who receive but to all who recognize what is going on in that moment, who are then encouraged by your faith and the grace that is evident in your life. Just one act like this can ripple out in ways that you can't know or imagine. And this creates a momentum that helps others also give cheerfully out of gospel generosity. It shows others the grace that is on view in your life. And so then thirdly, as others praise and give thanks, the grace of God is proclaimed and glorified. As others praise and give thanks, the grace of God is proclaimed and glorified. Verses 14 and 15. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God, Paul ends, for his indescribable gift. What is the end goal of giving? That the grace of God might be exalted and that all might give thanks for it. It's funny, isn't it? Verse 15, isn't Paul thanking the Corinthians for their gift? He's not even thanking the Macedonians for their gift. Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so here, in a sense, is the test for our hearts as we give, as we think about how to use the material gifts that God has given us. Do we think that this is a law, an obligation that I have to do to please God? Is this another rule that I have to meet in order to be a good Christian? Or do we think, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of redemption, adoption into his family? This gift that has been freely given, this gift that has cost Jesus everything, but has been lovingly and willingly given so that we might have everything in Jesus. Because gospel generosity comes out of that second option. Gospel generosity is us knowing and reflecting the gift of grace that is ours in Jesus. And so, a few things to finish by way of application uh, this morning. 
As a community, we want to be a community that is marked by this gospel generosity. If we as a community have truly captured this vision of Jesus, of all that he has done for us, then gospel generosity will be the fruit that comes from it. And how can we be doing this? Well, I got a text from the ATO the other day, and as Ben mentioned before, it's the end of financial year. Tax time is starting soon. This is the perfect time to be sitting down and thinking about your finances and to be thinking about how you can worship and praise God with all that you have. And the first thing to do uh, in this situation is not actually to give, but to use it as a time of reflection. As you sit down and check out your finances, how does it make you feel? How does the thought of giving more make you feel? How large a role does money play in your life? How much security are you getting from how much you've got saved away or invested? And if you're feeling the burden, if you're feeling the worry when you look at that bank statement, then don't worry about giving for the moment. Just come back to Jesus. There's a spiritual dimension to this that you need to work on first. Spend time just getting perspective and wrapping your head around the indescribable gift of grace that Jesus has given you. Because you won't be able to find peace in this until you do that. So don't worry about giving. Think about Jesus and the gospel. Allow it to capture your heart again. But if you have done that, if you are in a good place, well, what a joy to be able to give generously. What a joy to be able to sit down and think through with what God has given me, how can I be generous with all that Jesus has given me? And there are so many opportunities for us to be able to do that. Uh, Our little community here exists purely through the generosity of our members. Uh, As Ben uh, mentioned before you, we've balanced the budget for this year, uh, but he was good cop, I'll be bad cop. It's an artificial balancing, right? because we're still relying on a couple of trusts there. And I'll put it a little more bluntly, we're not really a healthy church until we wean ourselves off the reliance of those trusts. That aspirational line is a line that we really want to be working towards uh, as a church in order to be healthy, in order that we can actually pay uh, for those who do ministry and to set aside people to do ministry to us. Uh, So that's definitely something that you could be thinking about. But actually, this passage is looking broader than this community here. Where in the world are there others that we can be giving generously to as well? You know, there's a little country in South Asia that in around 1980-1990, they estimate only had about 200 Christians in that country. Uh, As it's opened up, uh, that figure has grown to around 3% of the population. It's uh, a miracle, but it is still a fledgling poor church. It's impoverished. Uh, There are like countries around that that are in similar situations. And as a church, we have sent one of our members over there. Christy is currently serving uh, in a country in that region. But to do that, she needs and the church of this South Asian country need our financial support. We have material wealth over here in Australia. 
How can we use it to bless those around who have little? Great opportunities around mission. I could go on. There are lots of incredible opportunities. There are opportunities for helping the indigenous church in Australia. There are so many great causes in order to be able to give to. But all of this is not about making us feel good about giving. It's about us realising that we have been given everything in Jesus and so responding in kind. And so our attitude should be that of a cheerful giver, cheerful generosity. Our motivation is the, general, is the grace of God who has already given us everything in Jesus and the result is our thanks and praise, our worship of God with all that we have. And so I'm going to pray for us as a church. These are great things, again, for us to be talking about together with each other. Uh, this is one of those topics that I think actually shouldn't be off the table. Uh, as Christians in a healthy Christian community, we need to be able to chat to each other about it, uh, to make good and wise decisions. But I'm going to pray, keep chatting about it afterwards, and we're going to reflect as well with a song after I pray, uh, which is Take My Life, which is a beautiful song that helps us reflect on these things as well. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for the chance uh, to be able to sit and talk about this this morning. Uh, Father, money does play such a big role in our lives. Uh, it also has the ability to be such a big idol for us. And Father, we're sorry uh, when we let it become an idol, uh, when we place our security in that and not in Jesus. Uh, Father, this morning, help us to redirect our thoughts towards what you have done for us in Jesus, for the union that we have in Christ, uh, for our adoption, for the fact that we are heirs, that that is secure, that that is assured. And help us then, Father, to be generous, to be a community that is marked by gospel generosity, by cheerful giving. And Father, we pray that as we do that, uh, as we worship and praise God with all that we have, others might see this grace and they might see the grace that you have given us in Jesus and that they might praise and worship him as well. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us as we do this, help us to chat to one another, give us wisdom as we do that. Give all of us wisdom uh, as we sit and review our finances, particularly uh, at the end of the financial year. Uh, and help us, Father, to be generous because you have been so generous to us. And we pray all of this in your Son's name. Amen.